there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Today's Bible reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Thank you, Helen. Morning, church. My name is Dave Kilpatrick, and I have the, well, here I am. I have the incredible joy of serving at Kerry as the Director of Ministries, and it's my privilege to be able to share with you uh, this morning, and may I join in the welcome of others. It is wonderful to have uh, you with us this morning, and pray that it's a blessing and encouragement to you. 2020 has begun, and for the last number of years at Kerry, we've had a theme that we've focused on all across the different parts of Kerry. And last year it was gratitude, and this year it's courage. I think courage is one of those things that looks better when it's done by someone else than us actually needing to do it ourselves. It looks really good on a wall poster with a lion that says courage, but I'd rather not have to exercise it personally. 
And as I reflected on thinking, okay, what is this about courage this year? I thought, can't we just skip that one and move on to world peace or something? But as I've prayed and as I've thought about it, I've got increasingly stirred and challenged. You see, we gather today as a Christian community from all different parts of God's family in the city of Perth, but we gather today as followers of Jesus, as people who are engaged in God's mission in the world. And as we look at the world, there are lots of things that we can see that are concerning or worrying or might cause us to be fearful. There's currently the coronavirus that seems to be cascading all over the world. We've had devastating fires in so much of Australia. There is the ongoing problem of climate change and the impact that that is having us and the seeming incapacity of world governments to be able to engage with it meaningfully. We've got people that are displaced all over the world. We've got a major modern slavery problem. There is people that continue to be oppressed and disturbed. There's the ongoing burgeoning change and transformation of technology, which some people, usually young people, are really excited about, but others are concerned about what's the impact it's gonna have on my job and my employment and my ability to sustain and what is it gonna do to community and to society. We have this transforming change and wave of mental health issues that seem to be impacting the Western world. Then we have the whole issue of religious freedoms and the debate around the rights of Christians and the ability to employ who we want to employ and funding for Christian schools. And we have the opposition that seems to be occurring to the church and our message and we're falling out of favour. And all of these things are weighing around us. And that's outside of our home where we have our marriages and our relationships and our health and our finances. How do we stand well in this place? How do we stand? This passage that was written, read to us by Helen is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi that he clearly loves. He's so fond of them. He longs for them with the, the love of Christ and, and he has great, great heart for them. He remembers them in joy. But Paul writes, sending the love, pace and grace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes this letter from prison. He is in chains. He is in prison for the gospel, but he is in prison. But he doesn't write from a place of depression or a place of anxiety or a place of despair. He writes confidently to his church in Philippi. And he says to them, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He knows that this is something that God has started and that it's something that God will bring to fruition. And so as Paul is sitting in prison, in chains, in captivity, writing a letter to this community of people that he longs for and that he loves, what might he pray? He might pray oh, and, and, and write to them, this is what I'm praying, I'm praying that you wouldn't be thrown into prison like I am. I pray that you wouldn't be persecuted. I pray that you wouldn't be oppressed. I pray that you wouldn't have people standing against you. I pray that your religious liberties and freedoms would not be constrained. He doesn't pray that at all. As he writes from prison to this church that he loves, he said, and this is my prayer, 
that your love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He prays that the church's love may abound more and more in depth of knowledge and insight. Because he knows that the call of the church is to be a loving community of God. And he doesn't try and pray that they'll escape persecution because he knows that's inevitable. He knows trial is inevitable. He knows opposition is inevitable. What he prays that they will be sustained in their mission and call to be a loving community, loving God and loving people. And he prays that that would abound and grow and deepen. And in a lot of Paul's letters, we see a prayer that, that we would be filled with the love and knowledge of God. What a remarkable thing to pray for a community of people that he loves and longs for. Paul was a follower of Jesus, as are we. And in this person of Jesus, we not only have the man, we have the incarnate God, we have the Messiah, the Christ, we have the one who was in the beginning and through whom all things were created. And as this God in person comes to be with us, we see, as it were, the powers of darkness arrayed against him. Even at his birth, King Herod tries to kill him, a threat to his throne. And he orders that every child, under, male child under the age of two is murdered to try and snuff out this king that has come. We see after Jesus is baptised, the Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the evil one, Satan, comes to tempt him and try and dissuade him from his mission. And he said, if you're really the son of God, turn that rock into bread, knowing that he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And he takes him up onto a mountain and he shows him the glory and splendour of all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, this is yours if you worship me. Because Satan knows that what we worship controls us. We surrender our allegiance and our authority to the one whatever it is that we worship. And the, the power of the church, the Jewish leaders conspired to have him killed and they, they cooperated with the might of Rome and the Roman centurions to have him crucified. The demons that Jesus encountered tried to call him out, we know who you are, son of the most high God, and he silenced them. Jesus came to earth and the principalities and powers and the authorities of this world surrounded him to snuff out the author of life. But how he moves is instructive for us. You see, Jesus had great power. He had great authority. But he never used it for himself. He never sought to glorify himself. He used it to bring healing to the sick, to open blind eyes, to heal the lame, to touch and transform the lepers. He used it to multiply small amounts of food to feed thousands of hungry people. He raised the dead to life. He calmed the storm for his disciples. Jesus never used this extraordinary power and authority he held for his own benefit or his own glory or to bolster himself or to con condemn those people or condemning him. He used it for his father's mission to set a world free. 
And he moved, as it were, like a lamb to the slaughter, gently into Jerusalem. And he even rebuked Peter when Peter tried to defend him when he was arrested with his sword. And he didn't defend before his accusers. And as the powers of the world arrayed around him to crucify him, he stayed silent and he remained on the cross. And we know that he died, but we know that that was not the end because he was risen and raised to life and he he had the victory. And we see a profound difference between what happened with the state of affairs before the crucifixion and after the crucifixion. If we compare what is written in Luke chapter four, verse five and Matthew 28, you see in Luke four, verse five, this is the story of where Jesus was taken out into the wilderness and the devil came to him. And it said, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. But in Matthew 28, we read Jesus speaking to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There has in the death and resurrection of Jesus an arresting of the power and authority of the evil one and the dominion of the world from Satan to Jesus and he now holds it. And in that context, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. In Colossians 2.15 we read, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them on the cross. In Romans chapter eight it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So we have to ask, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? As we come to a new decade and a new year, whatever circumstances we see, whatever situations we encounter, whatever the world looks like, whatever forces seem to be arrayed against the church, whatever it looks like, we need to understand that Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth. And he has said that he is always with us and he has promised that he will complete the work he has started. We know how the story ends. Let me come to scale it down to a more personal example. The vision of the Kerry community is to see a world transformed by the love of God. We want to be a community where people will experience God's love, have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and together demonstrate God's heart of compassion for the world. But if we want to be a community where people experience God's love. If we want to see a world transformed by the love of God, I've got to be transformed by the love of God. We've all got to be transformed by the love of God. And I am desperately in need of the work of the Holy Spirit bringing about transformation in me and bringing birth in me the fruit of the Spirit in love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And it will not surprise any of you that know me even a little bit that I ain't there yet. Except the patience bit, I knocked that off straight away. One of the challenges as I go about my Christian journey is I often feel like a bit of a construction site. I look a bit like this picture here. And 
You can sort of see what it's going to become. There's a slab and there's some walls, but gee, there's a lot of work to do. And I'm very exposed and open and there's no roof and you're thinking, well, I can sort of see where it's going. And I feel like I'm, I'm always being constructed. But if I'm really honest, and let's face it, this is church, so I probably should try and be. My spiritual journey looks less like that and more like this one. No, the other one. The big crane, that one. It feels more like a demolition than a construction. And I think part of the problem for me, I don't know about you, but if I was a church, that would be painful and scary. And how many can relate to the idea that sometimes God's work in our lives can be a little painful and a little scary? I think part of the problem is that when I, when I look at my life at times, I, I see it as a house looks pretty, that looks pretty good. A bit like this country, big country house there. And I look at it and it's okay. It's airy, it's solid, it's respectable. All right, it might be getting a little old, but let's be kind. But I think my God looks at me with loving affection and says, my dear, dear son, the life that you're holding on to actually looks more a bit like the wooden shack. And that is, that is the, the world that I have built around my heart and my soul to keep me safe and to protect me. You see, we are a product of our circumstances and our pain and our families and this crazy world we live in and we, we create mechanisms to make sense of the world and to try and protect ourselves and to hide and to keep ourselves safe. And so God brings his deconstruction machinery along to me and starts to try and prize the tin sheeting that I've placed over the windows of my soul so the stones and things that are gonna wound me won't get to me. And what he tries to tell me is, son, they are letting my light, stopping my light getting in and your light getting out. They're not keeping you safe, they're keeping you trapped. And he pulls and I cling desperately. He wants to expand my heart and my capacity to love. So he starts to try and deconstruct the walls that I have made around which I can hide because I desperately don't want to be seen for what I actually am. And I want to keep control and I want to keep safe and secure, but I'm actually trapped and imprisoned and Jesus longs to set me free. Because what I don't know is what is hidden in that shack is deeply loved and treasured by God. And God's devious, you know, because he disguises his demolition equipment. He disguises them as a wife and children and a church family. And he disguises them as work colleagues and neighbors and these children and this wife and this church family is meant to feel, make me feel good about myself and, and make me feel important and cherished and loved and all of that sort of stuff. And I can organise my relationships so that I actually feel that and all it leads to is pride and arrogance. But more often these gifts that God has given to me deviously hidden in beautiful looking people bring about me feelings of resentment and hurt and being taken for granted and anger and frustration. 
And if I'm not really careful, I'm gonna feel those feelings and, 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 and I'm gonna build up the battlements. And they've gotta be bad because look what they're doing to me. And I can take it out on the people that seem to be causing this in me where all they're really doing is touching what is in me already. And I do violence. The other alternative is I can say, whoa, I'm not as I should be. I'm starting to see my shack and I realise that's not acceptable. That's not how good Christians are meant to be. So I get out a tin of paint and I get out some, some grass and I try and beautify the picture a bit and I actually can't get grass to grow there so I just paint the rocks green and I, I, I paint some paintings of a window on the tin shed so it looks as though I'm open and welcoming and at peace but I'm still safe. And if I'm really, really good at that, I can actually build an entire beautiful house, double story, you know, smart wiring, huge balconies, lots of grass, timber, manicured lawns, pool, and it looks really awesome, but it's actually just built around that shack because I'm not prepared to let go of the things that hide me and keep me what feels like safe but is actually in bondage. And I think sometimes we see really significant leaders in the Christian story fall terribly because they've built the outside but they haven't been set free on the inside. See, part of the problem is I don't think God actually wants to shape me into a beautiful house. I think the picture of what God is wanting to do in me looks more like a garden. Something that is alive and vibrant and free. Something that bids welcome and brings shade. And as I start to reflect, I realise that I am incapable of creating that in my life. And if I'm incapable of creating that in my life, I'm incapable of creating it in anyone else's life. See, God's call for us is to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That doesn't sound hard. And so I have a choice as I sit in a place of insecurity and fear and I want to keep control and try and stay hidden and I want to use other people as an excuse for what I'm experiencing, I have the choice of going and trying to keep control. I have the choice of desperately trying to hold on to safety and security and prevent myself from being seen for what I think I actually am. I have a choice about whether to point fingers at other people and accuse and complain and abuse and manipulate. And I know from desperately painful experience that that does not bring life to me or to my marriage or to my kids or to the world and it doesn't bring glory to God. Or I can surrender to each day as a gift from God seeking to be obedient to his simple call to love the people I encounter. And on this path, recognising that every day is a day I can surrender into my need to learn to love and to learn to forgive and to learn to relinquish control to a God I cannot see. 
And as I trust that God leads me through each day, he is the one that is gently removing the shutters from my soul. He is the one that is gently removing the walls from my heart that I think keep me safe and simply keep me trapped and stop me from understanding the extent to which I am loved and accepted by God. And he is the one that is gently seeking to remove the rubble from my soul and breaking up the hardness of my heart so that he can plant in me a garden that brings life and joy and freedom and hope and welcome in me and in my marriage and in my children and in the world. We cannot create that. We cannot create that in the world. That's what God does. He just calls us to keep in step with his spirit and love him and love others. See, the sad and disturbing truth is that the history of the church is littered with tragic examples of trying to construct the world in the shape that we think it should be. We've had holy wars and oppression and violence and accusation. We've had power abuses and manipulation and control. We've tried to legislate for moral behaviour when what is needed is the transformation of the human heart. And we've constructed pictures of what a good Christian looks like and we've tended to condemn and ostracise people that don't seem to make the grade. If we look at Christ, he never came to control. He never came to manipulate. He never came to force. He came to set the captives free. He came to wash people's feet. He came to heal their diseases and to align himself with the outsider. Notwithstanding the fact that the forces of the world were arrayed against him to snuff him out. And I think that perhaps reflects the posture that we need to have in the world. Friends, the world does not need more people who are trying to control it. The world does not need more people who are trying to advocate for their own rights and their own freedoms. The world does not need more people who are telling people what's right and wrong and who's in and who's out and who's good and who's bad and pointing fingers at each other. The world does not need more people who are yelling. The world does not need more people who are anxious and desperately trying to defend themselves and their positions. The world does not need more people who are aghast and appalled and disgusted and outraged. What the world desperately needs is a community of people who are not afraid. A community of people who with humility and gentleness are not looking for their own interests but for the interests of others. It needs a community of people who are willing to be with the people on the margins, to include those who are excluded, to welcome those who are shunned, and to embrace those who would expect to be judged, and to forgive and love those who strike out against us, because that, my friends, is what God has done for us. The world needs a community of people. It needs a community that people will say, God is there. 
and they will love you. To do this takes courage. For me to love and have my heart unfurled takes courage. The only reason, friends, that Kerry exists is to be part of the reconciling work of God in the world. And his call is to love and serve and worship him and to love and serve the people that he brings us into connection with and to share the extraordinary good news of the gospel of grace that God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against us. Friends, we are called to be a community of hope. We are called to step boldly, but humbly and gently into the world, into the future, knowing that it is God that has worked in me and in us. And He is the one who is shaping the garden. And this takes courage because we step into what is unknown and we step into what is uncertain and we step in without great control. We step in without great security. We step in with little power. But we step in knowing that the God of all compassion and grace is reconciling the world to Himself through His Son. And we step in knowing that the author of life, the Son of God has arrested all power and authority and now holds it and has promised to be with us always to the end. And that He will finish the work that He has started. Praise God for me, because I can't do it myself in me, let alone the world. And that He has given us the Holy Spirit to guide and to lead and to shape and empower us as we seek to love a broken and hurting world. And as we stand in this place, as we start to reflect on the next five years and think, Lord, what have you? How will we stand? Will we stand with loud voices pointing fingers and accusing? Will we be outraged at how we are treated? Will we pray for our protection and, and prevention from things that might employ us? Or will we pray as Paul prayed that our love might abound more and more in knowledge and in insight that we might be able to understand what is best? When I'm in my shack, I cannot understand what is best, but as I start to unfurl in the beautiful mercy and glory of God, I, I see the world differently. We're called to be a community of hope and compassion. And that takes great courage. And we remember who we serve and who holds us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Allah, we thank you for who you are. Father, that you thank you that you see our shacks and you see our brokenness and you just love us. And you love us into freedom and you love us into health and you love us into a place where we can in turn love one another. Lord, I am so, so grateful that it is not my responsibility to shape the world. It's not my responsibility to try and shape this community of faith. It's not my responsibility to get it right even with my own life. Lord Jesus, you just say, follow me. Follow me. Obey what I've commanded you. 
And this is your command that we love one another. Lord, as we stand in the world in this place, would you help us to stand with peace and gentleness, advocating for injustice, advocating for righteousness for the sake of others, for the sake of those that do not have a voice, but standing quietly in the knowledge that we have all things and we do not need to be defended because you are our God. And the end is already written. Lord Jesus, we worship you and praise you and thank you that you are at work. And Lord, we look forward to seeing what you will continue to do for your glory in your